futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Rulnar Nevenheim, futurist and author. In episode 99 of the podcast, the topic is blockchain uncapitalism on desktop PCs. Our guest is Tomer Afek, co-founder of SpaceMesh, the web-scale smart contract system that lets anyone run blockchain computation from home on their desktop PCs. In this conversation, we talk about how current methods for coin distribution, such as ICOs, airdrops, participation in mining pools, and IEOs all have serious deficiencies and that the problem of providing extremely low barrier to entry remains as yet unsolved. Instead, the promise of blockchain is to create a cryptocurrency that is highly usable as a means of payment between any two people in the world without any possibility of censorship. What should young listeners, or indeed anyone without great financial means, do about blockchain right now? SpaceMesh utilizes unused disk space on ordinary desktop PCs to run the network. Evening out the chances of the disadvantaged is what gives Tomer hope and purpose that what do cryptocurrencies have to do with society and humanity and what's art's role in this transformation? Tomer, tell me a little bit about what you're up to because I, I find the website and the project interesting, um, but I don't yeah. know if I fully understand it. I think in order to fully grasp it, you need to think about what money is and what role does it money plays in our current society. And then to project that into what could have been, what money could have, uh, what the corrected story of money could have been. And then I believe that as a child growing up, I, I remember it very vividly that I've asked my father about capitalism and he said that's the least bad system and please don't ask me any more questions about it. And then, so I did. And and I was growing up into those, you know, ridiculous, uh, unfair, privileged kind of first system. And then when I was, uh, in a sense, no longer afraid of my own family survival, this is when I could really raise above and uh, find a deeper meaning and a deeper calling. And it became, in a sense, my calling to allow uh, many more children to uh, have that upgradient in their life that I now have without going through all the tyranny and the suffering that I've had to go through until I got there. So I find a lot of meaning and purpose in affording, you know, similar kids like me, which are smart, but not necessarily... You know, the best looking or the smartest or from the best family in high school. And, you know, we've been dealt a tough hand and it doesn't need to be that way. And uh, we're working very hard on making sure the reality for young 
young people coming from less privileged uh, families would be nicer. Interesting. So what exactly does then Space Mesh do? What is the sort of basic product? We do money. But uh, if you look at the blockchain space in general, you will see that the vast majority of the people in the space are white male at the age of 40 or 50. Yeah. And fuck, fuck that shit, man. I mean... And, so and, what is that what, change? What, 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 uh, so because it's interesting you bring this up. Uh, why, a lot of people, why, why well, a lot of people no say fee? that it doesn't matter because blockchain is a fair peer-to-peer -peer system. But you're, you're, you have a very different view on that. Good. I think that some people who are very privileged and have been uh, brought up in rich families, got the best education, got some good brain, and they are now developers and they got the best hardware, they are now living in heaven, in a blockchain heaven. This heaven right now belongs to 3% of the humanity. Where is the rest of the 97? Why are they not playing? Why don't they come up to heaven? The reason they don't come up to heaven is uh, A, no one has bothered to explain them what heaven is. B, no one has created a system which is usable by people who are not developers and that have weaker hardware and lesser privileged early start. And for me, my calling is to add to this revolution as many uh, broader population than the white boomer male. And in that sense, it means both reducing the bar of what it takes to mine a certain coin. Because if you join in as a miner, then you don't need a KYC, you don't need an ID, you don't need all the things that are no-brainer for a person living in the US opening a Coinbase account, but uh, you know, try to do that for Malaysia. Or, uh, so, Joining this Satoshi's original vision, sorry, just one sentence. Satoshi's original vision was that this would be a magic internet money that everybody can mine via joining, via mining from home. Everybody can join via mining from home. This didn't turn out that way. Uh, the, the mining industry in Bitcoin got industrialized. Right now, as a home miner, I cannot join the protocol. And this means that Bitcoin for me as an 18-year-old is, is just gambling on something which is already overpriced in a sense. And, and I don't know. I don't have any money. Why should I gamble? I mean, what is Bitcoin for me? It's nothing, right? But then if by, by using a hardware that I already have at home, I'm able to get some coins. And then using those coins and some smart decisions, I'm able to double those coins or something like that. Now I'm a player. Now I'm no longer, to, to the earliest point of our conversation, now I'm no longer acting from this like scarcity first kind of place. And, and as, as we said, myself, only when I've been, when I've secured my family's financial situation, have I been able to really breathe? Have I been able to really sort of find my real true calling in life? And, and uplifting that scarcity, which is, 
something that really dominates the decision for younger people, letting them feel a connection and follow that. This is my true calling. I think that once you do that, once you become autonomous in chasing something you have real passion, real love for, that gradient in your life quality is sensational. As a result of that, I wish to afford that for many, many more people as I can. And so to make your a long story short, what's unique about space which is that it will forever sustain that quality that you can join as a miner from home. You can open up your PC, you can fire up a node, you can start to mine the coin. And once you've accumulated a sufficient amount of coin, you can, you know, endeavor to use that in a communal fashion in order to create more justice, more order in your community. So ultimately this is about regenerative, it's about uh, culture, it's about those things. And how can we as artists or as creators or as people in general, create something which is less scary and more uh, communal, like a kinship base, something that used to exist and no longer. So, Fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, so you think you're about to solve the access issue, but uh, there's also a skills issue. How are you solving that part of it? Because people need to fully understand, even to approach you, right? To know that this opportunity exists. And then I'll, I, I'm curious about what the effect has been so far and where you are. No, that, in terms that's, of... that's a brilliant question. Let me try to answer that. I think that what we're building in space machines, like a build your own economy infrastructure. But in order to understand, to grok, to wrap your hand around what it even means to build your own economy, what could that entail? So we've decided that we're going to create one example that example would uh, give the children some kind of an idea on what could be achieved in this session. And the one example we chose to stick to is something that pays salary to kids for them to find out we're going. That's exactly what you've been asking for and that's exactly what we're building. So in a sense, we're building something like a cohort. Every six months, the circle grows. And with every six months, more kids can enjoy this time when they get to come to a very abundant, very uh, rich place. They get to experiment different kind of creative collaboration. They get to feel the degrees of synchronicity and integrity that they have when they endeavor to do all those things. And once they find something that everything clicks, they will try to bring that same thing to more and more uh, communal endeavors. And if in fact they are able to bring that to different say orchestra and remain in harmony, then that means that's their tool, that's their instrument. And so for me, they've asked me, what do you want to do when you go up? I looked deep inside my ego and I was like, yeah, I want to do this, I want to do that. I mean, there was no kind of guidance no process, nothing like that, that would allow me to experiment and discover as opposed to invent what is my true calling. If I'm successful, millions of kids will start their lives spending some time 
finding out what is their passion, what is their calling, and they will then pursue that with love and passion that you have for your girlfriend, but they will have it for everything that they do in life. And that's uh, what I hope to be my heritage. Tomer, I have a couple of questions. This is fascinating, and I'm and I'm trying to understand. I guess the first question is, why is getting access to this economy necessarily part of? And you call them kids. I want to ask about that uh, in a second, or children. But why is it necessarily leading to reflection? Is it that when they get resources, then suddenly they have the time to reflect? Is that what you were saying, or or is it different? Is it related to the skills they get or is it related to the actual financial resources that gives them the time to reflect? I think you're only able to really reflect on those matters when you are uh, uplifted from your scarcity sort of basic needs. And I think that in order to be a player, Mm -hmm. you need to have options to maneuver. And when you experiment in this kind of settings, when you're not squashed by a system, when you're not essentially, yeah, start as the janitor and one day you will become a partner here. No, you're not. That's a lie. So all those things, these are uh, symptoms of an ill system. And I believe that once you get uh, as a young adult, Uh, connected with your inner sort of strengths and you're able to push back and you're able to say, no, no, this is not how I do this and stuff like that. Now you are a player. Now you are able to become an agent of change in the world. And I believe that in order to transition from what is a schoolboy kid is to a badass agent of change, not taking sort of, that's how it's done from the top, but rather seeking more fair and more uh, inclusive, winning together type uh, solutions by by questioning those those uh, taboos, those, uh, you know, things that your parents told you will always be that way. And, and that's what ultimately build your own economy is about. It's about changing what um, your parents told you is like a fact of life, okay? And and allowing more people to operate from that place where they're not scared, not terrified, not, uh, in a sense, hungry, and, and as a result, are able to uplift into a higher calling, which is outside of their ego outside of their concerns, outside of their own kind of being locked inside yourself is a very bad and very scary feeling. I think I've talked to about 1,000 Gen Z kids in order to get a better understanding of where they're at. The vast majority of them are depressed as fuck. They feel they don't have a chance to make a dent in this world, and they might as well, you know? watch Netflix and at McDonald's. And that's so sad, man. And and that's because only because of the fact that you're atomized alone against 8 billion adversarial actors in an economy. Okay, so it doesn't have to be that way. 
we can start by playing along with other people, uh, trying slowly to shine and see where our shines are more receptible than others. And, and this idea of how to find your harmony, how to find what you can do, which would give you both pleasure and, and success and so on, doesn't have to be so scary and so uh, painful like it is right now. And yeah, and the last thing I want to say about this community is that it's self-sustained. So it gets no favor from anybody and it's able to increase its circle from cohort to cohort solely on synergies and non-zero sumness basis. Okay, so rather than thinking about what my share is, thinking about the total pie, your share is fine. Don't worry about it. And then everything changes for the better. So, Tomer, I want to ask you, where are you with this project? You speak about cohorts. Uh, I just want to understand to what extent you are in market and, uh, you know, what sort of uh, impact would you say you're starting to have? Uh, just give me a sense of kind of the history of this project and you know right, how right, it has right, grown. Right. So, um, as a, I was an entrepreneur of a traditional uh, company. I sold it. I became, as I said, slightly not concerned anymore about my financial future. And then it was clear to me that I want to do something which is not about money, but rather about social justice. And then I read the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper and it became clear to me that this is what I want to do in my life. And I started to research who are the other sort of uh, proliferant cryptographers coming out of Israel. Uh, everybody's fingers were pointing to the same person, uh, Professor uh, Tal Moran, who is at Harvard at the time, doing his postdoc. I've... Uh, contacted Tal and we've, after a few conversations, decided that we want to take his research commercial. Added another person called Dr. Rido Bentov, who was at Cornell at the time. And our, everything we've set up to do was based on the fact that we've mined Bitcoin at the early days and then Bitcoin gave us a finger in the eye because basically we were starting to lose money and as a result of like uh, ASIC mining and mining pools and all kind of professionalization of the mining industry. And right now, if you don't have $10 million to spend, I mean, you, you can't really become a significant player in the mining of Bitcoin. That is a result of the fact that the protocol is graceful as in competitive. And then if I have a better hardware, I can win. And we set up to build a blockchain that isn't set on on competitiveness. And we've been building this for uh, four years now. So this is not a sort of uh, 18 months VC typical cycles, but rather when you build public uh, infrastructure. One of the things which I believe are most critical is that you are responsible because people are going to depend on this with their lives and they, they only have one chance, right? I mean, they don't have like, a, okay, they do, or anything like that. So the degree to which you should be careful and you should be uh, responsible for the quality of the product you are delivering is maximal. And uh, this is like a lifetime commitment for me to make 
the life of the younger plebs better. And this is, again, to be thought of as an exemplification of uh, space mesh uh, through calling, just to get the imagination going when it comes to how can you build your own economy in light of this example you've just seen. And to wrap up, where are we? We are um, just a few months before Genesis. Genesis occurs in September. From uh, September onwards, I think mining space mesh from your home PC will be a very profitable endeavor. And I recommend any of the listeners sort of to, you know, just experiment with this. In general, you do not need to be not a programmer nor a very techie person in order to do that. This is as simple as downloading an ICQ or a messenger. And um, we're going to continue to deliver the heaven that the developers are at into the hands of those who are neither the dev nor the you know equipment to uh, be at the forefront of what's happening and by adding more and more people to this coming from non-technical background especially now that the non-fungible token revolution is accelerating it's the best time to be an artist and it's the worst time to be a scientist in that sense and I'm I'm loving this. I mean, after probably five decades when the creative people have been at the bottom of the food chain, I believe this is about to change and I believe this is the golden era of the artist. And this direct relationship with consumers will allow for them to be autonomous even if they have only a thousand two fans. So the dream of becoming autonomous by doing your art and not needing to be a lawyer or a doctor or a real profession in that sense is, is just around the corner and there's a chance we'll miss it and some people will get gazillionaires and the other people will stay poor and there's a chance we'll make it and that it will become a no-brainer to become self-sufficient and autonomous and then you will follow things you have passion for as opposed to what you need to do to provide for your family. And that will be a way better future for everybody. Tomer, for some people who are not closely following um, what's happening, I guess, either in the art scene or in the crypto and blockchain space, can you explain the transition you just made from something people might consider is a technical discussion and try to simplify that for, for people. And I have some more questions on that. And then suddenly you sort of entered into art. Not everybody is aware of crypto art, which I guess is what you're talking about. But tell us what your vision is of what crypto art... Well, first of all, what is it? And why do you think it's such a new paradigm? Because for some people... We're looking at it, it's just like, okay, it's just the latest thing in contemporary art and it seems like some independent smart people have been able to create a new digital art product, uh, you know, certified by, by blockchain. But explain how it happened and why you have such, I guess, bullish thoughts about what it's going to do to society and, and to creatives. short story and that's a wonderful question and we can spend probably hours talking about that 
the short version of the answer is that it was never our intention to become winner-takes-all community or mentality or economy or whatever. I think this is a result of the platforms. The platforms have uh, much to gain by having us essentially separated and competed against each other as opposed to collaborating. And many of the extremely successful people I know have never in the wildest dream envisioned to be so successful, neither want to be so successful, but they're now just following what is sensible next thing to do at every step of the way. And as a result, they're thinking only about themselves. I think that in a future artist collaborative community, there will be much more generative activity. And if one of us happens to be Kendrick Lamar, it will be sufficient for all of us. And then Kendrick Lamar, using his fame and fashion, can essentially promote other younger talents. And all those things, all those, uh, both uh, sharing of the halo onwards onto younger talents and this idea that we don't know who will be successful so we can create regenerative business models that will make sure that the worst of of us will still do fine and so on. So we uplift all of us from this city-based kind of economy. All those things are going to be the outcome of people's ability to own out in a non-intermediated way. And basically, there are much more Beethoven's and Van Gogh's than the ones we get to know. Sadly, typically, it has been the case that talent has been subjected to this uh, intermediate or kind of selective process which control who gets to be famous. I believe this should be way more about talent and way less about those kind of ugly monkey business. And we're getting there. Slowly but surely, there is a process which... Uh, allows to set up new form of platforms which are not uh, profit-driven, but rather they seek and they are built to forever sustain the interest of their users. And essentially they are uh, run and managed by their users. And, and in that sense, that's nice that the artists can think of the way their art will shine and then have it presented in that fashion. So Tomer, is it fair to say that your target audience is essentially Gen Z, young creatives, writers, artists, journalists, but also merchants? I mean, how are you facilitating all of these different professional groups? And when you say that you enable them to do mining, you essentially are the technical part of the blockchain mining is outsourced to your team essentially, and then you're giving them access by some revenue share to all these services. Is that how it kind of works or is no, it different? No, 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 very different. You mine your own money on okay. your own PC at your own premise. You just do it in a manner which is as simple as using Word. Okay. Just click, click, click next. You choose how much you want to dedicate from your drive to the protocol and then it's, you, you should write once right now. You download Space Machine on your computer and run it. It's super simple. And then if you leave it up and you let it run, it will accumulate money for you. 
And then the second thing is once the smart contracts, which is the way to make your money programmable. So that's uh, that's a heaven that is only for like Rust developers from the highest level. Mm-hmm. And our vision is to make this accessible to simple people. I so guess that's what I was talking about. I was sort so of thinking you're, you're, you're enabling smart contracts for independent contractors on a decentralized basis. Bravo. Yeah. And that means that you no longer have this idea of a popular decentralized application. Okay? Because a decentralized application is something that you and I will write for us and he will write for them. And there is like instances, like specific cases of specific implementations of economy, which are as simple as writing like a again, text. And, and then, yeah, that will allow a five younger group of friends to decide that they uh, take 10%, I don't know, of whatever they're making and putting it in a pool. And then the, all five of them have access to that pool. Should one of them be in need of money, you can get it and so on and so on. I mean, this idea that we're alone against the world and, and adversarial to eight other billion people is something that we're going to change. And just going to make the beginning a whole lot easier mm. because you're not against the whole world needing to find something. You just join something that's already got momentum. You find your way to contribute to that thing that it's already in movement and everything is less scary and more sort of in line of you finding something that you have real passion and then bringing that. For for very fear of really simplifying and probably distorting it, I mean, is a way to think of this as kind of a crypto version of an app platform also in the sense that you are creating building blocks reusable building blocks, I'm assuming, also through this system so that the next person who comes along has a little bit easier time than the person who came along the week before. Is it connected in that way as well so that there's assets being built up uh, throughout? or or Because I'm just thinking that the productization no, of what correct. you're saying... That's exactly what it is. I yeah. think you nailed it on the head. I'm just creating art. Every art that I'm creating making it easier for the next person to start where I finished. And in a sense, this becomes like a GitHub for artists, okay? Mm-hmm. So we are open sourcing the creative process to a sense where anybody can start where the best artist just finished from a capability standpoint, but then you get to protect also your IP and to make royalties or whatever you want if that's your thing. Hmm. But I think, again, being able to, A, not create a separation where I have a company and I have myself and my interests are not necessarily exactly aligned with the company. And then there is something like I'm, I'm digging underneath the conditions of existence of this company by taking care of only myself until the whole sort of thing that's been financing us collapses under its own weight. And then as opposed to that, you're building something where the mindset, the orientation, when you get into a place is what is this whole that I'm now a part of needs me to do? How can I uh, bring value to this group that's already like in its own jam doing its thing? And then you, uh, 
no longer have this uh, cognition sort of conflict between what is the most uh, honorable thing to do and the most profitable thing to do. And, and I believe that once you're able to, you know, evaporate this mistake, this dualist mistake that, right, the mind and the body are separated and that kind of bullshit. And, and you are able to understand that there has been a misunderstanding for the past, I don't know, 100, maybe more years when it comes to what's real, what's objective, what exists. All those things have been really messed up by the positivism kind of enlightenment movement. And, and they're no longer, I, I mean, we know they're not true from a physical standpoint. And there is no rule of physics that explains all the universe. There is no such a thing. We can stop looking. And, and that's, yeah. I think there is uh, something like a sickness inside the academia that they are silencing voices who are oppositing or, or controversy or trying to challenge the status quo. I think that's sad. Mm. And I think NFTs will also hold. Can I ask you a basic question? Can I ask you a basic question? How is it that the entire mining community consumes so much computer power and electricity and your system is able to somehow run on home computers? What is it that you've done? So the Nakamoto consensus is built on races. There is this idea where every in every interval of time there will be one winner statistically, and that one winner will get to tell everybody else what was the legal blocks and will get the reward for that. And uh, when you think about when Bitcoin just getting started, no one was calculating this kind of SHA. SHA is like a hashing algorithm, encryption algorithm. From that time until now that there are uh, specialized ASICs to create that SHA, there has been uh, probably thousand-fold improvement in the time you can calculate a given shot. In, uh, in Space Mesh, we've done two things. Number one, we've based it on storage as opposed to on uh, CPU power. The prices of storage have been uh, going down very persistently for the past 30 years and they don't have much to go down further. So there is no thousand ticks out there when it comes to the price of storage, but also we don't compete. So in a sense, you can be guaranteed to get your fair share of the reward every month. And that's major because I think when, when I was uh, losing in Bitcoin, there was a period when I was getting rewards every five months or something like that. And if the maid happened to close the PC exactly at that date, fuck, rewards gone or something like that, right? So now there is the frequency in which you pay out is important because it's got to do with uh, both uh, those who really need the money and can build on this being something sufficient and also in that sense that, that it's not that if you don't have a 10 terabyte, don't even bother, right? Because even if you have the smallest amount, you will still get your first share of that reward and that will 
accumulate over time to something significant. So uh, think about the, the shortest answer I can give you is something along the lines of how weightless deal with tips. And uh, there is an option that everybody keeps the tips that is getting. And there's an option that all the waitress put the tip in a glass and then they break it even at the end of the shift. So we use the latter in a sense. And uh, that's like a, you don't, you collect all the rewards, you put them in a basket and then the bucket of rewards is being divided by by the miners as as for the amount of storage they contributed and nothing else. So it doesn't really matter which transaction you've specifically processed and so on. All it matters is that you will get one times 200 of the reward that the aggregated reward that was collected. And that disincentivizes any kind of selfish mining behaviors like chasing the highest paying transaction or not doing a transaction that isn't paying enough and so on and so forth. Hmm. Wow. Where do you, where, where do you think the crypto space generally is going? Is this decentralization that you are providing sufficiently different that it's going to kind of fork off in a completely different direction? Or do you think that even the rest of the, peer-to-peer economy is going to move and uh, I guess even though some of it is created by like you said white people who are privileged in their 40s I mean do you it's just interesting to me um, that you're making the statement that you know uh, it's still based on a faulty economic logic because I you know I interview so many founders that fundamentally believe even though they have very different views on crypto than you do they fundamentally still believe that they are contributing sort of to their version of a better world and you are sort of positing that that's not necessarily going to happen so i'm just curious you know as you're looking into the next decade of of this platform or is it possible i think bitcoin is great I think Bitcoin is far better than anything in fiat. I think that uh, everything that will happen in the world right now is a result of Bitcoin. Okay. So if any of us have seen far, it's because we've stand on the shoulder of giants. And I think Bitcoin is a giant in that sense. And it's the first something in a whole lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Satoshi couldn't envision the amount of excitement, the amount of money, the amount of dependency that the humanity will have on its invention. And that's the reason for ASIC mining, okay, that, that they couldn't go that far in their thinking. And I think we have just, we were not smarter by any means. We just had the privilege of hindsight. We've seen how the competitive trajectory played out. And we asked, we originally set up to solve this by doing something qualitatively different. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so privileged, so privileged to be in this place at this time bringing a new property to the blockchain, which doesn't exist. I believe this industry is going to dominate the world economy in, in a decade. So this is 
potentially have the chance to influence the lives of millions of kids for the better. And I cannot honestly think of a better way to spend my time. And I think this is like a sacred opportunity. And I treat it as such in a sense of deserving, okay? Legitimacy is always the most scarce resource ever. And legitimacy to exist, legitimacy to become a public property is something that's been on my mind forever and you need to deserve it. And then people will give it to you because it's basically up to the people to decide who's winning this battle. And uh, they will give it to the one who's most worthy. It's not about fundamentals. It's not about those things. People are confused. There's something like people don't understand the Bitcoin finance supply decision. They don't mean that no coins will ever be minted. They mean that to create a bond between the original people at the get-go is more important. And then if those people are bonded with trust together, they will solve anything. So I believe in trust and I believe in the utilities of trust. And I think that right now we have consensus at the bottom of the spectrum, of the trust spectrum. I think that the only way to play with trust is to give it first and in a, in a crazy way. And then some people respond to it very nicely and some people take advantage of it. But when you give trust and you get trust in return, you know you have something to work with to do change. And, and yeah, I mean, I think just the scientific or the scientific sort of uh, way of thinking that if, if something is an equilibrium, it gotta be that way, right? But the way things are, not how they have to be, definitely not how they should be, just how they are right now. And I think there's a there's a bunch of higher order kind of consensuses that we'll achieve once we'll start exploring this. Fascinating, Tomer. I thank you so much. This has been uh, enlightening to me, and I hope I can uh, bring this to my listeners too. So thank you very yeah. much. You have just listened to episode 99 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim futurist and author. The topic was blockchain uncapitalism on desktop PCs. In this conversation, we talked about how current methods for coin distribution all have serious deficiencies. Instead, the promise of blockchain is to create a cryptocurrency that is highly usable as means of payment between any two people in the world without any possibility of censorship. My takeaway is that cryptocurrency should and could be an answer to banking the unbankable, but that social stratification cannot typically be undone just by technology alone. As blockchain goes from free experimentation among cyber libertarians and rapidly will become a business-to-business enabled platform too, we need to keep a watchful eye on how those with few means can gain entry into the financial system. Web-scale smart contracts and access to cryptocurrencies that don't require expensive computing resources or excessive computer talent would seem to be a necessary ingredient. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. 
If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 42 on the future of cryptocurrency, episode 66 on the serendipity of social innovation, or episode 59 on the tokenization of securities. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.